You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. This week is another show from our 2020 archive that sadly we should have totally launched the month we had it. So it was recorded around this time of 2020. In the autumn of 2020, basically a year ago, I had Darren Shepard, the CTO and co-founder of Rancher Labs on the show for our second now annual catch up with everything that Rancher Labs is doing. Now, on this show, if you think of the context of what it was a year ago, we were talking about the recent Docker announcements about Docker Hub limits, which of course now in 2021, we've all moved on beyond that and Docker's made a bunch of announcements about new features and paid Docker desktop and all sorts of other stuff. But a year ago, we were catching up with Darren on all the projects that they're working on, including RKE and Rancher and K3S or Keys and all the other stuff they're working on, Rio, and there's just a bunch that we talk about. So I think that this show is still really great a year later. I listened to the whole thing and I think it's super great what Rancher is doing in the space. And if you're at all new to Kubernetes, we talk about the different Kubernetes distributions and how Rancher plays with that and where it's best to use Rancher. The Rancher GUI that we all just call Rancher, as well as the Rancher Kubernetes distribution, which are technically different things, and where Rio fits. And then we go down some great discussion of the gap between Docker Compose, which I've talked about in other live shows recently here in 2021, and how it's getting a sort of a reboot and a whole new life and a bunch of new features. And so Darren and I talk about the excellent product that Compose is and how there's a gap between that and Kubernetes and some of the ideas they have for solving of that. So it's sort of a great retrospect on where we were a year ago in comparison to where we are now. So enjoy this year old, but extremely still relevant conversation with Darren Shepard, the CTO and co-founder of Rancher Labs. Thank you so much for being here, Darren. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Again, time. <laughs> this is like our annual thing in the fall. It's like the tradition now since, since tradition, since we have <laughs> you for the second time in two years, might as well say it as a tradition. So Darren has been on the show before and we talk, we basically run through all of Rancher Labs projects and products. And it's a great rundown. Of course, you know, being the co-founder and often the person who came up with the idea in the first place, Darren is the great, a great person to talk to. So I'm glad to have you here. I have some questions of my own that I need answers to that I'm hoping that Darren can shed some light on. You can also follow, by the way, follow him. You can find him on Twitter. He's constantly tweeting and he's, and it's always good stuff. It's always good stuff. For instance, like you had uh, one to complain about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and I like your honesty. You don't complain for the sake of complaining, though. You complain about legitimate things. You had a tweet today, actually, that I wanted to ask you about because, like, we're going to go random on the topics today. Aware oh, of a Docker oh, registry yes. service that supports assigning a custom domain. What, I'm not sure what I what you meant by that, but it was an interesting question. 
Yeah, well, no, because we're, we're looking for where to host our images because the recent changes with Docker Hub and the limiting yeah. and whatnot, we're running into a significant problem because the our users, our open source users are all getting rate limited and we haven't yeah. been able to find a decent solution. We're looking at our options. So one of the, the things is we would like to have our own like domain of like rancher registry or something like that. But if I go with like ECR or or I mean, sorry, yeah, ECR or GCR, can I do that? Basically white label it because we don't oh, want right. to run it or uh, yeah, run it ourselves. But but what we're finding out is this is actually a really tricky one is the amount of data that we're serving up in images today is absolutely ridiculous. We had right. no idea the amount of bandwidth that is coming out of um, of Docker Hub today. Yeah, because um, they don't they haven't exposed so yeah. that before. Yeah, they haven't given us those tools to see it. So you don't yeah, just so know counts. Yes. <laughs> you just, yeah. So we went, we've been working with Docker directly and trying to figure out a solution of what makes sense. We have no problem with paying for anything, but you know, whatever solution makes sense. So we were we're that tweet was just because I'm I'm legitimately looking for what are the best ways for people to run registries and also where the bandwidth won't kill me, the cost. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a, it's a discussion that we've been continually having with the captains group too, because a lot of us support a lot of, I mean, all of us got in to be Docker captains because we were largely focused on open source and Docker's original en engine was open source and that was the focus. And we were all very concerned as well about the announcements earlier this year and we were confused by them as well. I think I feel like Docker is trying to do the right thing, but obviously, like, it's a very expensive thing. So we all sympathize with them because it's like, this is super expensive. No, you know, people are well, paying yeah, for it. Well, yeah, I mean... But yeah, it's a tough... How do you satisfy all these needs of open source? It's a tough problem. I think. Yeah, and like, I totally understand what, what they're doing. And I mean, because it's like, they've basically been giving away free storage and free bandwidth for quite a while now. We all knew that had to end it at some point. So yeah, we're in a kind of a little bit of a strange situation. I think our situation might be a, a little more the unique um, because we are an open source project. Yeah. So there's, you're not an official, it's, it's image, a little harder. But you're a, yeah. You're not an official image, but you're a big open source provider. And yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, so that's the like amount the, of content and bandwidth we're pushing is really large, but we also don't have a specific like customer base. Well, I mean, we have our customers, but we, our users are 10 times, a hundred times more than our customers. Sure. Um, Sure. So, yeah. So it's hard to say like, well, everyone just use a Docker account and yeah. So it's been tricky. Yeah, that's that true. Out. And for those of you listening and you're like, what are they talking about with this, this rate limiting stuff? So oh, yeah. go back into, if you go to Docker Hub is putting in new rate limits and other limits to basically ease us into the idea that a lot of us are going to need to pay $5 a person or whatever for something so that we're not doing unlimited hosting and unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. And they're the their website and their blog so if you just go to blog.docker.com we'll actually have a bunch of those blog posts if you're interested in this show we've talked about it a lot so if you go back and just search docker hub at brett.live that'll take you to youtube and then you can search uh, on the previous shows and we've probably had three or four shows just talking about this for like 50 minutes or something but i was interested in that tweet because anyway so random topic let's start off before we get to the questions let's start off with your main product, Rancher. And so Rancher Lab is the company. Rancher is one of yep. the products. What is Rancher and how how does it relate to Kubernetes? I guess because people often ask yeah. me like Rancher versus Kubernetes and that's a, like a weird question yeah. to me. Yeah, so fundamentally what the product is that it's, I want to just clarify everything we do. Everything is completely open source. It's free to download. We don't even have a it's like the open source bits are the same ones we give to our customers. So it's freely available. But so our main product that we have and sell support for is 
basically defined as a multi-cluster manager. So it's going to help you deploy and manage Kubernetes. And so what that Kubernetes is, we're not very particular about what flavor of Kubernetes you get. That's what differentiates ranchers. We really view Kubernetes as a commodity. So if you're getting EKS or GKE or AKS, or you're running it, you wanted to set it up yourself through KubeADM, or you use one of our distributions, like RKE is our distribution for enterprise, K3S is our distribution for edge. Um, so Rancher is going to help you basically deploy those, deploy those distributions or manage them, do the security, set up GitOps, deploy applications. The way we view it is it's like we want Rancher to be your portal to the Kubernetes world. We're the entry point. Like if you're just starting off today and you want to deploy a cluster, Rancher is really great. Spin up Rancher makes it really easy to deploy a cluster and you can get running. If you're a large enterprise or you're more mature, Rancher will scale up to those use cases too. And it, yeah. Yeah, I like it. That's a really, you're well practiced at that. All right. So related to that, usually when I get someone that comes in and they're asking, okay, Rancher is this thing that I can use to deploy Kubernetes. And it's one of the ones I recommend to get started, especially trying to do a Kubernetes vanilla, as we call it. Uh, for those out there that the Kubernetes ecosystem has lots of different distributions and you can do just the pure open source upstream. But to me, that's a little bit like building your own Linux kernel. It's really only for the people yeah. that know what they're doing. <laughs> and so I'd like, and I, in my courses, I talk about Rancher as one of the ways for deploying on a server. And it has sort of a lot of, it makes a lot of these decisions for you and puts it together. But how is that, sometimes when people are getting started, they hear something else called RKE. How is that Rancher different than that? Or how are they related? Yeah, so RKE is like our distribution of Kubernetes. And so RKE is going to be very similar to, I mean, any other distribution that somebody offers like EKS or AK. So where RKE, because like the way we view it, as I mentioned, is like we kind of view Kubernetes as a commodity. You can get it anywhere. So you should be really running the Kubernetes version that is the best for your environment. So if like you're an Amazon, EKS is probably going to be the best thing. But if you're on premise, like on premise, you're running your own servers, then you need some option, you need an answer there. And that's where RKE comes in. It's like, we give you a distribution that's gonna be good for data center on-prem. And then also very similar to that, we have K3S, which is another another distribution. So that it's just one, one component in the bigger picture. It is not required, it's optional. A lot of people like RKE, we have a lot of people using it, but we don't, we don't try to fight and say, RKE is the best distribution ever. Cause it's like, well, no. Right. Like we just give you one because you need one, but if you get one some other way, that's fine. Like our goal is really to just help you manage Kubernetes and, and yeah. Right, right. I like it. And you just recently had, back to the rancher part, you just recently had the 2.5 release and I got a, I got some, a lot of emails about that asking me to, to read stuff that I didn't read. So do you have a summary of what, what 2.5 did for us? Uh, here in 2020? Yeah, so 2.5, it was a major transition for us. It's leading us into probably what will be like a 3.0 release. So there's a lot that actually changed under the hood, but it's really solidifying kind of this viewer story that we've had in the company from the very beginning of like computing everywhere. It's like, we really want to enable you to be able to deploy applications anywhere. It doesn't really matter where it is. You can have a consistent approach if it's on-premise, cloud, edge, whatever. So our 2.5 release strengthens our ability. We have better integration now with K3S to expanding into the edge. We have better integration 
integration with EKS so you can manage the cloud, Amazon cloud better. But one of the major features that you know I personally worked on that I really care a lot about is the integration of Fleet. And Fleet is our GitOps at scale solution. So this is a GitOps solution that will scale up to a million clusters. It really came out of our work in the edge space, but that's been directly integrated into Rancher. So now when you install Rancher, you have a built-in GitOps solution that, that works great for one cluster, works great for hundred clusters, also works great for a million. Right. Fleet. That says that, did that get released this year? That was a 2020 thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a 2020 thing. So we announced the project earlier this year. I think it was around like maybe March or something. So we announced that. And when it first started, it actually had no direct integration with Git because I like I just gave a, a, a talk on this at Edge Conference, this Edge Conference we did yesterday with Microsoft and Amazon. I went into kind of great detail on the architecture and whatnot because the key thing about Fleet is the multi-cluster capabilities is how to deploy to a lot of clusters and how to manage the configuration and how to do that at scale. And so Fleet is like a very powerful multi-cluster management engine. And then you kind of layer Git on top of it and then it becomes an, an excellent GitOps. Cool. But Fleet is actually, it's a project, you can just use Fleet directly by itself. And then it's really nicely integrated into Rancher if you want a GUI and it automatically, because you have to register clusters with Fleet. So the all the clusters under management and Rancher automatically get registered with Fleet. So you can just add a Git repo and it starts deploying software through that. So you can use it by itself, but you know it's even better with Rancher. Yeah, nice. And any anytime we can, I mean, GitOps is starting to be a buzzword, a little bit like DevOps word. What does it mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, right? So, yeah, and, and I, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was going to say, like, what do you define I'm, GitOps or what does Fleet do in a GitOps way necessarily? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it is such a bit uh, a buzzword or whatever, but it's like basically, it's when I talk about GitOps, I'm specifically talking sp very much about the kind of the Kubernetes flow of like, everything you define in Kubernetes is a manifest. It's a desired state. So like you just have to do kubectl apply and like that becomes something. So it's a very logical, simple thing of like, well, what if I just put those manifests in Git and when I change it, you know, when I update it in Git, you just automatically apply it to the cluster. So it's like GitOps with Kubernetes is like a no brainer. It's like, oh, it's so simple. And that's why you see projects like Flux, which are really good. Um, it's a very simple approach and it worked really well. The complexities is just how you start, how do you do this at scale? And But the basic concepts are, are, are so are so simple. And so like when I talk about GitOps, that's all I really care about there. And like, I don't even think, like there's definitely a lot of problems with GitOps too. It's not like, it, it, it's, you know, there's just never like a silver bolt for all these things, but it, it has a lot of benefits now that it's like, it's clear. I mean, I'll tell you like some of the downsides is, and these are things we try to fix with fleet is it's like, as people scale up with GitOps, it's like, well, they thought they would have all the centralized control and everything, but they ended up with like a million Git repos and different branches and people are doing PRs and they're just like, well, what the heck's going on? Like, what's the real state of my environment? And that was one of the driving factors behind fleet where we're like, well, I can't just hook like every cluster directly to a Git repo because I don't have enough centralized control and visibility, like especially in an enterprise, like how do I, you know, what the heck's going on? So Fleet works as a kind of a centralized GitOps manager. So you can go to one place and get visibility of everything and then also control like RBAC and stuff if you're enterprise. Right. So does that replace something like Argo or Flux? Yeah. Well, so it's like Flux is like fundamentally not 
multi-cluster. I mean, maybe right. the newer Flux stuff, they're doing a lot with GitOps yeah. Toolkit. And, yeah. and maybe some of that's moving towards multi-cluster. But like the Flux V1 was not multi-cluster. Argo is multi-cluster. And I know a lot of like our users and customers are very successful with it. Fleet plays in the same flight plays in the same space so it overlaps with it maybe competes with it to a certain degree i don't like really to compete with other open source projects but uh, but it's like the architecture of argo did not work for us to get to the scale we needed we argo, argo is a push model and that's we know firsthand the complexities of that because rancher 2 is actually written as a push model and that will currently scale to a couple thousand clusters whereas with fleet we need to get to a million so we had to flip mm. to a we fleet the architecture of it is really what we say is like a two-stage pole architecture yeah i never thought about that with with argo being push we had had victor farsic on two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. And our, so our whole yeah. show was about Argo, CD, and GitOps. And so for those of you watching, again, brett.live takes you to YouTube. You should go back in the videos a couple yeah. of weeks and you'll see a guy named Victor. And we we're talking about Argo. And so if you want to know, like get more into GitOps, which is my favorite thing of 2020, is of GitOpsing all the things in Kubernetes. Sadly, I, for those of you that are Docker and Swarm fans, I don't, I don't have any tools yet that anyone has really created that automate that, yeah. although it wouldn't be terribly hard, but it, I haven't seen it. So maybe you could be the one, <laughs> maybe you in the yeah. internet, you could be yeah. the one open new open source, not necessarily Darren, cause he's already probably got a list of 50 things that he needs to make open source projects because he's constantly yeah. coming up yeah. with new stuff. We talked about that last time, actually. If I remember the question where I was saying something like, what's your backlog of the list of things, like all these things that you've said, I'm just going to make a little personal project. And then it becomes a product that everybody wants. And it's like, what's the next one? What's on your list that you haven't yet told anyone about because yeah. you don't have any time, any time to work oh on your so, I mean, there's so things. I mean, because basically it's like, if you follow me on Twitter, I complain about everything. But like the way I kind of view is like, I don't like to just complain for complaining. It's, it's, it's like, I, I legitimately want to solve the problems too. So if like, right. if I'm complaining about something, it's most likely because I'm also working on it or I'm using it and I'm trying to make it better. And I mean, I just have a massive back, backlog of ideas or, or things or whatever. The the one one thing that's been fun at, with Ranchers as scaled as a company, we're up to, I don't know, I don't know, I think we're like approaching 300 people. It's like 250 or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's gotten big. Is we've, I think we're getting better at like, I can basically kind of prototype and come up with an idea and then hand it over to a team who can actually support it because supporting, it's the maintenance of software that kills you. I mean, oh, even just one yeah, project, so, like one project. There's people, there's, there, how many projects, right, in open source on GitHub are, have thousands of, users and there's one person more or less with a couple of PR. Oh drivers, yeah. You know, you well, know. I know. And then it's, it says like, Oh, there's 300, 300 contributors. And then you go to the uh, insights tab and you go, Oh, that was, those were all doc commits. You right. Know? <laughs> it's like, there's right. only two guys working on this. Or two yeah. People, 99, you know? 99%, 99.9% .9 of all commits are from one person and one commit per person for the other three, three 299 yep. people or yep. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it always is. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's tough. I mean, open source is great, but also those of you that have ever made any out there uh, made any projects on open source like i'm sure you sympathize with us that you just be nice like just be, the rule is be oh nice. yes yes please because yeah the reason we, we haven't replied to your thing or fixed your thing isn't because we're ignoring you it's because there is a thousand other things that we're trying to also do and it's yeah well yeah. i mean and 
it goes to it goes both ways too because it's like as when i first got into the the industry i was a docker user and mm. so i was the really annoying docker user complaining about everything and then we end up creating rancher and now we have a, a decent following or whatever and so now i have users complaining at me and so now being in this position i also realize it's like as a maintainer or whatever too it's important to be nice yeah. just give everyone the benefit of a doubt it's like yeah, it was just, yeah, there's no reason to get upset. <laughs> it's generally the rule on the internet, but especially in open source on GitHub, because yeah. And I think I wake up every morning and because I myself have, with my courses, I've been lucky enough to get like five or six repos, some thousands of stars or something. And they're, none of it's really that useful to people other than to learn or to use tooling to learn different parts of Swarm and Kubernetes. And so luckily they're not, there's no production stuff in there, right? But yep. I think I probably wake up every morning and think about that one repo that once someone asked about yesterday that I didn't haven't done anything with in three months and that I should do something about it. So for those of you out there that have ever asked, we're probably thinking a lot more about your stuff than you realize. Uh, it's just a matter of managing all the incoming, so. Yeah. There's a lot um, of great questions coming in. I'm saying. I know. But we got we'll to get to some of these. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to start doing some rapid fire for you. We're looking to move our Azure Docker Enterprise Swarm to either Docker Kubernetes, so Marantis Kubernetes, or to AKS, but we want great monitoring and management. How would Rancher apply to either change? Okay. Docker Kubernetes. What so is, there, oh, I, with Marantis? I think, I think yeah. he thinks of like, Docker Enterprise as Marantis or AKS, how would Rancher I mean, relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if your strategy, if you're already going to, like, if you're in Azure and you're, you're staying there, you're happy with that cloud or whatever, I pretty much, I'm always going to say, go with the cloud distribution. You're by far going to get the best experience. It's going to be integrated the best with all their services and whatnot. So I would definitely say if you're in Azure, then AKS is going to be your best option. I'd still check out Rancher to also manage it because we add a lot you know, of functionality on top. But in terms of distributions, yeah, the cloud, you really can't beat what AKS, EKS, uh, uh, GKE are doing. Yeah. yeah. All right. But would Rancher, could Rancher manage the AKS? Is that? Yeah. And so where Rancher would like would add value to that is, is so we will help you manage all of your clusters. You, Cause we actually, we partner a lot with Microsoft and have a lot of really successful customers and deployments with Microsoft customers on Azure. And so what Rancher is going to help you do is like come up with the strategy of how you manage multiple clusters, how you do authentication and authorization across those clusters. So let's say if what you can do is you can create an automation flow like GitOps or Terraform or whatever, which is then interacting with Rancher which is then deploying the clusters. And then Rancher will add on top of it, like monitoring also, if you want to go with like more Prometheus oriented. I mean, Azure is going to give you their kind of integrated monitoring, but if you want to go with kind of Prometheus and that approach, which is, is quite nice because it's all container native and all that stuff. So it's like Rancher will help you with that. Yeah. You know, the way we look at it is like, you know, kind of once you get the Kubernetes base in there, now you can just start dealing with kind of a pure Kubernetes world. And then Rancher is going to help you with that. So we can hook up like the GitOps pipelines and, and, and things like that. Okay. We've got a question on, I don't even know how to pronounce this. I guess this is the question. Kyverno versus OPA. I've, I've used Oh, one wow. Yeah. Goodness. Someone's got uh, some skills out there. Someone knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, serious. Yeah. So I didn't even know how to say Kyverno. I'm, I'm going to go with that pronunciation. That's the great thing about open source. You never know how to say anything. So I'm a big fan of actually Kyverno. I, o, OPA is, uh, 
it's got the mindshare or the original, like it, it very quickly became the de facto solution of, oh, hey, OPA is the answer for everything. So OPA is nice because it's a policy engine that's going to work for anything. And then so you have Gatekeeper, which is going to be the Kubernetes specific integration. So if you're looking for a solution for enterprise or like for policy management or policy authoring and enforcement across anything, OPA is your way to go. If you're focused more on Kubernetes and you just care about Kubernetes, uh, Kyverno is significantly easier to use. I very much like it. So it just depends on 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 your approach. Because like to me, the biggest downside of OPA is Rego. I don't I don't know how you say it, but it's their mm. policy language. It's based. It's derived from data log, which is derived from prolog, which is so it's a different way of viewing everything. It's more of a query language, a query and evaluating data. So it's a little hard to grasp at first. So I'm I'm a big fan of Kyverno. I don't think at this point in the policy space anybody should be making a large bet of just saying like this is, this the, is the only one. solution going. Yeah. So. I honestly would say, we'll just start with Kyverno. And if that doesn't, if you need to extend past it, then I'll try Yeah, that's, try the, that's the challenge with any of these tools, I think, right? Like in the container world, I think the only thing we standardized on is that the Docker file is the Docker file. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> the image format Seriously, is the like, image format. Yeah. It's like the only, the, the longest thing that's going to last out of all of this is going to be the OCI image spec. That's basically, yeah, that was a great question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I know I have tried neither of those. I've, I've only dipped my toe into controllers, into mission controls. I'm always curious about other people's experiences. And so that's not to keep plugging that Discord chat, but there's a lot of smart people in there <laughs> that keep asking questions. And they're like, Brett, what do you think of this? And I'm like, I don't have time for all the things. So maybe I need to ask, have Darren more on the show to have these <laughs> Kubernetes questions. And that's why I ask everybody's opinion on there. Like, what do you guys think? And I got to jump in the Docker captain's room, which is always a great slack to be in because there's a lot of experience in that room as well because they're mostly senior DevOpsy sysadmin people. Yeah. Personal Docker registry equals Nexus? Is that versus Nexus? I think it's what? probably saying like, that's a good option. I mean, Nexus oh. is a decent option for the uh, Docker registry. I'll say for our use case, I don't have as much experience with Nexus. I mean, I've seen a lot more like an artifactory JFrog mm. being deployed. That's probably the one I see the most if you're not going with a hosted a cloud vendor or whatever. Enterprise, so our right? biggest like, yeah, it's, yeah. that's paid, right? That's a paid... Yeah, it's pricey. And our biggest thing is the running the operations of that at the uh, scale that we need. I mean, I, I, we are pushing over a petabyte of data a month in terms of our, our image. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, starting in 2017, when I started doing DockerCon talks about production and how to get to production faster, project planning, basically, I would have these couple of slides on it. And that's like, things you should outsource. Do not run your own registry if you can yeah. at, at any way avoid it. Like it's a... It's an HTTP storage system. It's boring. Like, why do you want someone constantly managing garbage collection of images and bandwidth problems and storage problems? Like, that's just... Yeah, I, it's it's a REST API on top of S3. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just another object storage. We just called it a different thing. So it's, no, yeah. please don't run them yourself. They're, they're, yeah, if you can just get it as a service, that's much better. How can we measure... How can we measure production grade Rancher K3S? So yeah, the beauty of uh, K3S is it is still just Kubernetes. I mean, it's like we did a lot to make it small and easy and, and whatnot, but it's still Kubernetes. So like how you're gonna monitor and manage it is really no different than Kubernetes in general. And because K3S has, uh, has actually gotten so popular, we're now actually seeing first class support from it from 
like uh, ecosystem partners or whatever. So I was like, I think Sysdig now officially supports it. And so you can run all those same, um, just run those and you'll get a Kubernetes cluster. But yeah, I mean, it's Prometheus, Datadog, uh, Sysdig, all, all the regular solutions is like basically how you want to monitor it monitor it. So if you hook up K3S to Rancher, you can deploy, you know, Prometheus through Rancher and then you get the normal monitoring there. Yeah. Yeah. Compliant or what is it? Conformant. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a couple of comments about the GitHub running the target registry, but to my knowledge, GitHub still requires auth on all of its registry stuff. And for a lot of this open source stuff, the challenge is doing it without auth. There, there's a question here. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of replacing etcd by with sqlite that's a super technical one but that's a fun story yeah i've been watching so, a little bit of the drama as it unfolds yeah cuz this is ever since so basically rancher got into managing kubernetes so basically as soon as kubernetes started getting users and so our biggest hassle of managing Kubernetes has always been and still basically is etcd because it's a persistent system. So it's like not to harp too much. It's like etcd in the earlier days actually had some reliability and some issues or whatever. These days it's pretty rock solid, but as fundamentally at the end of the day, it's a persistent system. And so from the very beginning, we always we're like, well, why do I need etcd? Why can't I run on top of something else? Because I don't want to run, like our customers don't want to run a persistent system. Like they would much rather get it as a service. And so the motivation for swapping out etcd with something else was always that I'd like to be able to run it on RDS because I can just pay for RDS and I don't have to worry about operations. Or if I'm in an enterprise, I have a database team and they just do it for me. So I don't have to worry about it. So we actually started this work way, I mean, it was like five years ago, we did this, we had contracted Glider Labs to develop a prototype of replacing etcd with, you know, doing the shim of getting etcd to run on top of a, a relational database. Um, and it, and we basically proved that the idea was feasible, but the timing wasn't quite right. So it was this pet project of mine after that for many years where I just kept hacking away at a database how like a database solution for Kubernetes. And so it wasn't until K3S came along where it, we then found a perfect use case for it because we could swap out etcd with SQLite and then it made Kubernetes much more lightweight, less intensive on the disk, much more better, like much better, much more better, <laughs> much better for, you know, edge solutions. And so that's where it came from. It's like people actually don't realize really the amount of effort that went into creating that. And so that code is actually, it's in a project called Kine, which is a project that I really would like. It's part of K3S. You know, K3S is a CNCF project now. So that project is hosted with K3S in CNCF. But that project I would like to see graduate, like move upstream to be a Kubernetes project because you can run Kubernetes on top of any database. And I had mentioned Fleet you know, we talked a little bit about fleet and how do you scale fleet to a, a million clusters. The only way to do that is actually you have to run Kubernetes on top of on top of a relational database because the data store etcd just won't hold up. So this is like a super technical component, something I worked on for many years. Actually, pretty darn proud of that it that it works. And I do see as the cloud distributions like EKS and those things get more, you know, as that becomes more of the commonplace, that all of the cloud vendors are basically going to move away from running etcd because they're going to run different it, it's just too costly to run etcd so it's like you could run we haven't actually done it yet but it's like it's theoretically possible to add a driver to kind to support like dynamo db and then it would be ridiculously cheap 
to run uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good one. And uh, I'm going to have to like make a clip of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be its own YouTube clip. SED and SQLite. Yeah, in all the sequels. Yeah, talking about that. All right. So there's a conversation. Darren's argument against GitHub registry and SFX works oh, pointed yeah. out that GitHub now recently allowed for public pulls to require no authentication, which I did not know. Yeah, yeah. That's really there are so with GitHub registry. I mean, actually, I think it's great that that's probably should be your default option. You know, mm -hmm. if you're one of the kind of the leg up that GitHub has is that you're already controlling, you know, teams and authentication and authorization and roles and all that stuff. And so integrating GitHub registry, I mean, your Docker registry into GitHub, I think is a great solution. I would yeah. by far recommend that for most people. It only just becomes more of a problem when you're like enterprise and, and you care about, oh, you know, where your data is stored and stuff like that. But whatever, it's Microsoft. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll figure out some answer there too. So I have nothing actually against it. For our use case, like there's two requirements we were looking for is, can I put a custom domain on it? Mm. Which I can't really, I don't think I can do. And even though it's unlimited use for open source projects, I think there's still actually a limit. There's, I, I don't think the the bandwidth that we're pushing will actually. But we are actually we're invested. That's one of the one, like options on our plate. Yeah, because we still oh, so haven't really saying, decided. I'm sorry, you were saying you don't think the Git, even though GitHub claims un bandwidth unlimited bandwidth for open source, like if it was a petabyte, they might reach out. Yeah, there's still <laughs> a kind of like an abuse limit, you know. Yeah. So I don't think it's actually completely, you know, unlimited because, yeah, it, I mean, it's somewhat abusive, I, which I understand the amount of bandwidth yeah. that we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that some people, you know, and myself even made this mistake probably years ago when I didn't quite understand the difference between containers as an artifact and that concept when I was first getting started. But there's a huge difference between source code storage and Git pulls and Git pushes and stuff like that and container image registry storage and container pull. I mean, that, like images are many factors more in general of storage and bandwidth than code. When people sometimes yes. think GitHub allows all this for free, why can't all this be free? And it's like, well, it's actually quite different to store art stuff. And and that's why all these companies like NPM had to go make a you know an enterprise model because NPM as a free thing is quite expensive, I'm sure. But it's but yeah. that's still just open source code. There's not a lot of compiled binaries in, in there, even though I, technically I think you can do it. Yeah, just... and, and that's why you know it makes sense for. It's like the only place I think right now you can actually get free unlimited downloads is uh, GitHub, but it's they have the scale of being Microsoft and, you know, so they're eating the costs in different ways. But, you know, they'll have to offset that somehow. Yeah, and people are asking questions and talking about like auth and can everybody just auth? And and I think that the question for, for me, that the, the, the thing is, it isn't that we all can't just auth to go do pulls of images. It's that until re until now, none of us have had to for anything that was public. So any open source, none of us have had to NPM auth or bundle auth or yeah. you know any of these other things for anything other than private repos. And it's ma it's a matter of just now everyone and every server and every CI solution and all this stuff all has to now deal with auth on a thing that we never had to deal with. It's, I don't think it's a matter of no yeah. one can do it. It's just... It's a new thing. No, that, it's actually a, a problem. significant problem because that's introducing auth where people didn't have it before is it's, I mean, the it's like our customers have, it's like if I have a thousand clusters under management or whatever, it's like, that's not a minor change, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, there's a lots of chances for that to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All right, moving on from that, what are the container technologies supported by Rancher? 
<laughs> all of the above. I mean, Rancher, because it's like the, our products and projects and whatnot, we go down as low as we have like Rancher OS and K3OS, which are our operating systems. So we're looking at the kernel level, K3S and RKE2. Somebody had actually a question about RKE2, but those are bundling in container D. So we're doing CRI, container runtime level. We have Longhorn, which is storage. Yeah, I, I mean, then Rancher's fleets get... I mean, so it's like our projects, they cover most of the space like the only thing we don't do directly is going to be like monitoring logging those type of things you know we're just like prometheus or fluent bit and but we still like support them there's supported versions you can get through rancher right. and whatnot but it, as i introduced rancher in the beginning it's like we really would like to be the like your one-stop shop it's like uh we are your kind of gateway into the kubernetes ecosystem and then cncf universe so while we're not necessarily the one you're not every project is not a rancher project but you're going to go through rancher to get that yeah. mm, right and all of these maybe some most of these are all focused around kubernetes right like the, like the yeah, gravity yeah. of your products are all pulling yes we're very so like the when we announced rancher 2.0 which i don't know three or four years ago i can't even remember the time was like that was a very big shift in our company and we went a hundred percent in on kubernetes so before that we were still supporting like docker swarm and mesos and those solutions but we went completely completely all in and that's been uh that's been a challenge for me personally because kubernetes is definitely more difficult than let's say like what swarm was doing but that's where things like k3s came from was like our attempts at trying to make this easier for people it's like the kind of running a k3s cluster is really no different than running a swarm cluster these days it's pretty it's about that easy now deploying your apps on kubernetes is still harder than let's say like swarm but yeah. but we're hopefully these things will get solved over time yeah yeah now that swarm yeah. is continuing is continuing support will rancher be getting swarm support back no absolutely yeah. no we have zero interest in swarm unfortunately i'm sure you have a good amount of swarm fans in your in your audience and i was always a, a fan of swarm and the simplicity and what they did but we don't really view it as strategic in any way so i actually i wasn't quite sure so i'm assuming that means that mirantis said they're going to continue to who said they're supporting swarm yeah mirantis yeah. yeah yeah and for those of you watching if you're a swarm swarm fan or swarm fan or interested in swarm just go back we we'll say this a thousand times today. Brett.live, go back in the show list. And earlier this year, we had a whole Swarm show. We talked about 2020 updates. But essentially, Mirantis, right out of the gate, said, we're going to give it two years of enterprise support. Because, you know, all, like they bought 700 Docker enterprise customers, essentially, when they bought the majority yeah. of the company. And um, on as far as I know, close to 90% of those were all running Swarm uh, as their primary yeah. orchestrator. They, could, they, they also might have been running Kubernetes, but they were also running Swarm. So... Swarm is a prime, most of their customers. And so Mirantis, I think, was doing that to sort of calm the fears, right, of the whole purchase and the customers bailing because they're worried. But since then, they have continually restated, oh, no, we're adding, now we're going to add CSI support. We're going to add jobs. Jobs is already up in upstream, Moby. But the release cycle and feature set is still very slow. It's not like there's a team of 20. As far as I know, it's still a like a person and a half that's the developer team on Swarm. It's not going to in, in any way catch up or ever be the thing that kubernetes is right so yeah i mean i so the thing with swarm is yeah we had an orchestrator called cattle that was in rancher mm -hmm. one which was a uh, very simple and people were very successful for it and and the people who used it really liked it and when we came up with rancher two which was all kubernetes it was just nowhere near the same simplicity and it was painful it was like it made me sad of like well 
we delivered this thing that was so easy to use before. And now we've made Kubernetes easier to administrate, but using it is still hard. Um, but I do honestly believe it was it's the right move for like our users, our customers. Yeah, this stuff is a little harder to use, but the ecosystem is incredible around Kubernetes. And it's just hard to deny that. And I don't, if you continue with Swarm, just make sure you have a good exit strategy because it's, I mean, it's, there's just no, there's no ecosystem there. Yeah. Yeah. I I I was just going to say for the Kubernetes, if you want a really simple solution of how do I just basically deploy applications, Rio plus K3S, Rio is a project from Ranch or whatever. Rio plus K3S is a super, super easy way to run containers in production. Rio is a layer that we add on top of it, which is going to give you automatic certificates and load balancing and canary deployments. It will pull apps directly from Git. It does some auto scaling. So if you're really looking for that, just very simple, you know, almost closer to a Heroku-like experience, but you're running it yourself. That's what Rio is. Yeah, you could run Rio without Rancher and just run it on K3S directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just you just spin up because Rio's it's just a Kubernetes project. So you can just launch K3S. K3S is really a no-brainer to run and then run Rio on top of that. Rio is just a CLI. It will basically install and deploy itself and you can hook up your apps from, from GitHub and it will deploy and run applications and they'll scale and you get uh routing there's a load balancing and uh rio is a pretty fun little project yeah my answer to students and a lot of my consulting clients it's like if you haven't made an orchestrator choice now you probably should choose kubernetes by default when people go through my courses the way that they're introduced to docker and then compose and then registry and like some things like that and hub and they go through those basics and then to wet their lips on what orchestration is because it's already built into Docker, they learn Swarm a little bit and there's a couple hours of stuff in there. Yeah. And then uh, for a lot of people, they just stop there and it's good enough for them. And that's great. I still actually run my own website on Swarm because it still works and my website's just a website and it has a couple of things. I think a Let's Encrypt proxy in front of it, or I'm sorry, a, a traffic proxy running Let's Encrypt in front yeah. of it. And then you know a storage driver from an old project that doesn't even exist anymore really for Rexray, I think. And But that works mm-hmm. for me, and I haven't changed it in like three years. But if I did it all again today, I would probably, you know, if I needed to run three or four websites, and I just wanted, I had some nodes on D- DigitalOcean or something, and I just wanted to have a little hobby, I might do K3S or Rio. I, does Rio run on like top of, I mean, it just requires a Kubernetes, Kubernetes Yeah, API any Kubernetes, point, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah, can so run like on you could, like, DigitalOcean it, or... It, yeah, if you run Rio on top of DigitalOcean, that's like that's a pretty sweet setup because DigitalOcean is a no-brainer to spin up yeah. a cluster. Yeah. The biggest problem I see in the ecosystem right now is this gap between basically Docker Compose and Kubernetes mm. is that there's just not a good path forward because Docker Compose is so good. It's like it just doesn't get enough credit for what it's done. And it's this great tool for people to understand containers and spin up environments and stuff. But there's like it's... I know Docker has some solutions, but they really haven't been adopted much of running Compose in production because it's a super hard problem because yeah. this is a space that I mean, I've, I've worked with in a lot of like Compose is great for developers. It's not great for operations. It's not great for enterprise. So how do you bridge that gap? And this is something I've looked a lot at. Rio was our first attempt at trying to bridge that gap. I don't think we actually succeeded there. We are actively working on kind of a Rio 2 where we're trying to address this this major gap that that I, I think exists. Yeah, yeah, especially when it comes to like 
you go from 200 lines of compose to 2,000 lines of manifest and just to do essentially well, that's the same thing. You get more bells and whistles and you probably, you've got yeah. more stuff going but, on there. But yeah, there, like you throw in that ops responsibilities and suddenly you have all thousands of lines or something instead of, you've separated in from one big compose file to small little yeah. manifests. And, and, yeah. But but it's the separation of concerns of like compose gives you like, oh, I can assemble my application and, and it makes sense for the, the developer. But then how do you add all the production bits? Because like that's what Kubernetes, like all those bells and whistles are all for production. And it's like a developer doesn't care about that at all. And they shouldn't. It's like it's a bunch of details that are just annoying. <laughs> um, right, right. And so it's like, how do you keep that simplicity, but then create like effectively an artifact that you can move forward? And uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I really hope, you know, Next year, when we do our annual talk, I'll, I'll be talking about how we've uh, addressed this problem. Right. This is something that bugs me a lot. I wish yeah, Kubernetes was easier to use. Yeah, and it's yeah. definitely the, like the next frontier, I think. And it also is challenging because it gets lost in the messaging of people are learning containers, learning Kubernetes, and then this is the kind of problem they have once they're ready to go production and then they fall off this cliff of it, it's yeah. reasonably easy for a developer and now suddenly, holy crap. And that cliff is a rough one. Yeah. and. And, we we and, struggled the same way in the training world too, because we're trying to figure out how to well, train people on these things. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to teach you about this, but before you know this, you got to know this, and before you know this, you got to know this, and now you've not, now you need to know ten things just to get your app into production. <laughs> yeah, and it's even more complicated in enterprise because what's happening is the IT team is like, okay, Kubernetes is the answer, so they come up with their Kubernetes strategy, and they they're like, okay, now I have Kubernetes, and and now I'm going to give it to my development team, and then it's like the development team is like, well. How do I use that? And then people end up building all these custom paths and layers on top of it. So it's like you have problems coming from both sides of people start with Docker Compose and they understand containers. They don't know how to run it in production. And then in an enterprise, it's like, well, yeah, we already decided it's Kubernetes and now we're forcing that on you. And yeah, have fun with that. As much as Docker was all about the developer, it was like all about the developer, like empowering the developer. Kubernetes, unfortunately, is all about core IT. It's like, yeah. that's why it's been so successful is that enterprise has adopted it. And, and it's to a certain degree, I don't think it's been very good for the developer to a certain degree. Right. It's like kind right. of, it's pushed the, it's, yeah, it, it put the ball back in IT's court, you know, basically like they have all the control. <laughs> right. Whereas like the developers before were like, I want Docker and I'm so much more, you know, agile with it and they're pushing IT and then they're like, wait, hold on, give me, you know, two years, Kubernetes, yeah. now you deal with it. So, yeah. yeah, I'm a huge Compose fan and every one of my consulting clients, I, yeah. I almost insist that we actually, like that's the first part of the project is we can compose this thing. And it usually ends up with developer happiness. And then we start talking, and then it's a completely different conversation to talk about server clusters and Kubernetes and shifting the manifest. And the only thing I've been able to come up with is watching over and over again, multiple times a year with these projects, like seeing the ebb and flow of that is if there was only something in Helm or whatever that basically the developer gives it its compose file, and it doesn't necessarily do a translation because we yeah. got those converters, but it, like basically what if it takes that compose and then it applies like the commission controllers, it, the ingress, all the other things. That, exactly. So on I, top I, I, of it, I, I, without I, changing it, you know, it's like I'll tell you exactly the project that we're working on because this is pretty much what you said is that we spun it out of Rio. It's something where it's called Dolly right now. It's kind of hard to find because it's in one of our developers' repos. But um, is that we're specifically trying to do that where it's like, what if I take a compose file and effectively turn it into a Helm chart? So it's like, I can do the live development. I can do Docker Compose up. I can develop my application. I get all the cool flow of Docker Compose basically. But then when it goes to deploy, I can basically turn that into a Helm chart. But 
turning into a Helm chart, I also then need that layer that you're talking about of like, how do I inject my production bits? And like, how do I add my Istio configuration and my OPA? It's like all the stuff that you're, you need to be compliant for your organization or whatever. Right. What, what we saw was that like, with Rio specifically is Rio has a runtime aspect to it. And the downside of Rio was developers like Rio, it, like it resonates with them and, and they like it, but they can't convince I the core IT, the people running Kubernetes of like, you need to run the runtime of Rio because they have to get the operations team to buy into it. And then they're like, oh, well, what is this? Because Rio comes with a service mesh built into it. And so they're like, oh, it's Istio. And like now and then you know Istio and all this other right. stuff or it's Linkerd. Link, uh, it's Linkerd by default. I'm a big Linkerd fan. But but yeah, so it's like basically it's like how do you create from the developer side an interface the developers like, but that can turn into a basically a standard artifact that then can be handed over the wall to operations as much right. as DevOps supposed to be together but like yeah. it is still yeah. and so it's like how do you then create a standard artifact that can move forward and then people who are like i understand kubernetes and i don't care about your developer world uh they know how to deal with it and so that's like the solutions like that that okay. we're looking at right now so anyways yeah so helm helm yeah helm and some yeah. other bits to help with that yeah and helm, helm is one of my favorite projects to to hate these days but yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I love yeah I mean, Helm is is become like Fleet. If you look at Fleet internally, Fleet is actually built on top of Helm. Even though you don't have to author Helm charts, what we do is we actually when we get pick up the manifest from Git, we dynamically turn them into a chart and then use Helm to deploy them. So when you look oh, at your okay. cluster, everything is defined as a Helm release. So you have like good auditing. You know what everything is. There's a lot of advantages of putting things into a Helm chart. Like the downside of Helm, and what everyone always complains about is the templating and authoring the charts. Um, and then there's complexities around CRDs and whatnot, but those are all misdirected sure. anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Like when you, you, what you just mentioned, right? So like a developer learning Docker is one thing and then learning the compose format and then, and then they're like, okay, cool. But then to get into production, if you're expecting that same developer or the team is to like, now you need to learn a manifest. Oh, now you need to learn Helm charting or customize yeah. or whatever. And and yeah. it's just, it's a, exhausting a little bit. Like I, there's very few people that I know that can be a good developer and then also try to manage all these other things. So I think it's totally legitimate to say that let's keep the, those ops focused things in ops. And it's not that we can't share. And if this is all infrastructure as code, then everyone should be able to see this stuff. But it's definitely a, a hard area that I think we're going to be seeing more and more people trying to deal with. Hopefully, I, I mean, at some point, it's going to have to be added to my courses because as the community grows and my my students mature, they're all having to deal with these issues too. And, and I'm going to have to come up with something. And that's yeah. that's been the problem too with Kubernetes. It's like you make a course, like people want me to make a service mesh course. I'm like, okay, which one? I can't do a service mesh course yeah. on all of them. And I can't do a CI yeah. course on all the CIs. Like, well, the service mesh is just as complicated as Kubernetes. If you're going to go with, right. with Istio, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. Oh, I totally lost one train of thought. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> oh, okay, that's okay. We'll yeah. come back to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some rapid fire. See if we can't catch up on some of the questions. RKE two. So that's a savvy user um, who knows about RKE two because that's not something we've in two point five. We announced something called RKE government. I mm. think it's what it's called, and but it's technically it's RKE two in preview, but we've tailored it specifically for the government sector who has like higher security requirements. But what RKE two is is the next version of RKE that will be coming out. Like it will be more fully supported in our next version of Rancher, what would be like a 2.6. Mm. And it's really exciting because what we've done with RKE2 is we've built, we've revamped RKE 
on the same kind of it's almost like the same platform as K3S. It acts and behaves a lot like K3S. It's just as simple to interact with as K3S. But instead of choosing a bunch of kind of lightweight embedded options that K3S does, RKE comes with like your full enterprise grade fatness. It doesn't use any embedded components. Everything's ran separately, but it's super easy to get up and running. It's really easy to administer. So I'm really excited about that project. And it's consolidating our approaches down to it's like if it's going to be you know basically rke can run cloud data center that's where we and then k3s is edge but no matter where you run we basically have the same approach so it's rke2 and k3s are gonna uh be the same approach in how you interact with it but they have different capabilities in, in terms of more tailored to the environment where they're running yeah okay next one is Next level of Rancher Academy course coming. I enjoyed the L1 operator one. So the training we, I don't know when we launched this. I mean, it, it's relatively new. I think it's like maybe in the last six months, but it's been a huge success. I mean, a lot of people have signed up, have gone through this training, really enjoyed it. I really, you know, it's funny when it comes to training, we, we said, hey, we're going to start doing like certification or whatever. And internally, I kind of like barfed on the idea. And because I'm not like, I'm not a big fan of certification. But the reason why the thing that's great about this is it's not so much about like the certification of getting a paper, like I don't think that proves anything. It's about learning the content or whatever. Because yeah. somebody asked, this was like a Twitter, I think it was maybe there was on Twitter, we were discussing this of like, well, what's the value of like getting the CNCF certification for Kubernetes? I think it's called CKA. Is that what it is? So, it, and, and my answer was like, we actually have seen a lot of value in the certification for it's your way to like, you've got a competent employee, smart person. They don't necessarily know a lot about Kubernetes. It's just a quick start for them to understand and learn everything about Kubernetes. And so that's what this is like. It's, this is not about getting certified. Like, it's like, you know, that paper means something or whatever. It's about teaching you the content and you can have your people, your team members can just go through this. And so it's been very successful. So when is level two coming? I can't say direct, like, I don't know. I know the They've got to be, they're working on it because it's been very successful. So yeah. they're going to be adding more content to that. But the exact schedule, I don't know. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, David. And uh, for those of you that haven't heard about this, so there's a link in the chat. So the way that this works, because this isn't like, this isn't Docker mastery, right? Those of you that are students. So, so this expects you to know Docker and mm -hmm. Kubernetes first. So my recommendation is if you're interested in Rancher, and I definitely recommend that you check it out because it's one of those things that you should know. If you're going to do Kubernetes, right, you probably need to learn a couple of distros at least. And this is definitely the one of the ones I would recommend. So do the Docker mastery course from me and then do the do Kubernetes mastery course from me. So those will get you the fundamentals. And then you're going to learn a distribution. And this is a, uh, I've checked it out. I've actually watched some of the videos and uh, I would recommend this. This is great. While we're there, look up Adrian's channel. Should have his link somewhere. Oh, I'm not signed in. That's why it's not not finding. It's not finding it because it's like, who are you? I'm showing you container ships. Oh, I'll find it later. I'll put it in the. I'll put it in the notes of the. Anyway, I don't know why he's not showing up on my YouTube. Let's go back to the uh, questions. Longhorn CLI, another insider. <laughs> when can we expect to see the Longhorn CLI? Oh, that one I couldn't. So the direction of Longhorn has been, I mean, because there is technically a Longhorn CLI, but this CLI interacts with the engine, which is not what uh, most people want. So the direction of we, Longhorn has really been to 
try to just make it a first class, really good Kubernetes solution. So like a storage class, we don't have, I'm not aware that like the, the CLI is like specifically like we have a date or a plan or whatever to deliver a first class CLI. So I can't, yeah, I don't have a great answer there, but I think it's a worthwhile thing to, to do. We are scaling up that team. Longhorn is now, I think we said it was GA, but it's officially supported like through Rancher. And so we have customers and stuff on it. And we're continuing to expand in that space as the more people are willing to put persistent workloads and they find kind of use cases where Longhorn makes sense. But yeah, not a great answer for that one. Right. That's okay. All right. So I have the URL. You should go check out Adrian's channel. If you've ever watched any of those Kubernetes videos, let me just, this is another channel you should watch. In fact, he just had one two days ago. He's he's like live almost every day, and uh, yeah, I, he think, works... I think he does it every morning. Maybe I yeah. don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, it seems like that. But if you like this channel, you should definitely check out his channel. I put the put the link in chat. He's he's talking about all this rancher stuff and all just cloud native containers, all that stuff. It's great. Yeah, he's got a site. It's uh, cncn.io, his main site of all of his content or what's going on with. with oh, nice. Uh, what Adrian's up to? Yeah. Uh, I know about yeah. that one. It's some pretty impressive content. I don't know where he finds all these, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, he's good stuff. And so, the, the sorry if people didn't correlate that. He is in the videos of the Kubernetes training. So if you do that, I'm sorry, of the Rancher training. So if you do the Rancher Academy, you will be seeing his face. Yeah, all right. K3s, we already talked about K3s and Turning Pi. Oh, the, yeah. Um, Turing Pi, you know, Turing they just Pi. announced that they just announced the the CM4 compute module four. They're going to be releasing that next year. That's a cool. That's a cool platform. I personally, I don't have one. I haven't played with them. Alex Ellis is really the one to follow for all of your Raspberry Pi Kubernetes stuff. He's got some great projects like Ketchup. It's K3S up that makes it really easy to deploy uh, Kubernetes on 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 these like clusters and stuff. So he's what really the one to follow if you want to more know about that stuff. Or yeah. So yeah. I'm excited for the new one. I'll probably end up buying the new one that's built on the CM4. Yeah, yeah this is uh, this is the repo. Alex Ellis has actually been on the show. I think he was on earlier this year as a friend of mine. And he all of his stuff is great. Um, yeah. And he's always yeah. looking for people to help out with the open source. So like if you're wanting to get into open source and actually commit some code, we're still in the month of code for DigitalOcean, by the way, for the, the, the hackathon, the Oktoberfest. I've been talking about that all month long. So he's always looking for people to put in some PRs and uh, all of his projects are really great. He also is really good at making great CLIs for the tools. So making them easy, very similar to a Docker experience. Mm -hmm. OpenFaz is his project too, or I mean, he was a creator of OpenFaz. I mean, there's a good community around OpenFaz. Yeah, Yeah, he's worked hard at it for years and I uh, respect the effort because he's got a lot of hustle. (laughs) Yes, yes. It takes a lot of hustle to make open source projects successful. Not easy to do what he's doing. Yeah. Um, a question on any good public registry for Helm charts similar to Docker. I do know that there's a discussion around registries being able to store, uh, and they could do already, at least Docker is experimenting with this, on storing like compose files, Helm charts, yep. other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like the OCI artifacts work that's going on. Because like when you look at like a Docker registry, it's really just a, it's a, it's just a content store. It's a content addressable store. And so you can put anything in there. And in fact, you can today. That's a problem that Docker Hub has is people storing movies on their, <laughs> in their, in their oh, Docker, I you know. I didn't even know that. That's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, of course, people, if you can store it, people abuse it. Yeah, but oh, what was the actual question? 
No, oh, no, uh, no, that's okay. Public registry for Helm Charm. Yeah, so there's two of them that I know. So there's some work from like the CNCF they're doing like, well, that's more of like an aggregator for things. So there's like Artifact Hub that CNCF's doing, but then I can't remember what it's called, but JFrog just put out one where it's like, I don't know what it, I wish I could remember, but it... So JFrog has one where they're aggregating all the content or whatever, but I'll, I'll tell you, this is a major problem in my mind that even if you aggregated all the helm charts, the majority of the helm charts out there are not good. And so the quality, like this is one of the biggest problems with helm today is the quality of the charts is very poor. And yeah. this is where something at Rancher we're investing a lot in is like today you have some upstream, let's say Linux software, but then that gets repackaged by distribution like Ubuntu. And then you can very easily install it in Ubuntu and they maintain like that package and make sure it's easy and it's integrated with other things. That doesn't really exist today for helm. And so we're trying to go down that route with rancher right now of how can we start maintaining a set of helm charts that are based off of the upstream but we they're well curated in that like because like every chart today wants to install prometheus for example but how do we make it so every chart can like basically use the prometheus chart that, that we also support or whatever and so that was one of the things that we actually we've started this effort with rancher 2.5 is starting to figure out how we can curate a set of charts just so these things easily install like you can install and upgrade them that's like the biggest things uh so yeah so that's i think of a gap in the ecosystem right now and i honestly think like people's view of what a kubernetes distribution is today is really like you just get kubernetes but there's no, really no reason that like a kubernetes like like there's room for a distribution the very similar like to what a linux distribution right. is really a kernel and a set of user space packages. While we say this situation is a little different where we're saying, well, Kubernetes is the kernel and you can get that anywhere, but you need like a distribution of the user space stuff, all the CNCF projects. So this is an effort we're investing in, in the, on the rancher side of, you know, how, how do we create a kind of curated set of like all the CNCF projects so they just easily install and, and you can get charts that you just, you don't have to be an expert to use them. Yeah, I, I just now realized while you were, I was looking at this while you were talking, that the, the Helm Hub uh, repo actually redirects over to artifacthub.io. So that yeah. is the same thing. And I know about Operator Hub, which is not technically Helm specific, but that's where I end up searching for things sometimes when people are... Helm, yeah, Helm so, starts eventually uh, leaning into a operator style. So yeah, I don't know how much of this... Yeah, Operator Hub is a weird thing. It's hard. I don't know. I've done some other blogs or blogs and articles and these interviews about operators and the complexity of that kind of paradigm or marketing term. So I'm not personally a big fan of op Operator Hub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just, just because it's on there doesn't mean that it's quality, right? Like that's true of anything yeah. on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And is there a convenient way to install Rancher on existing K3S Hub? Cluster, sorry. Is there a convenient way to install Rancher on an existing K3S cluster? Yeah, so the, the simplest so the simplest way to get going with Rancher is I always just throw people to our GitHub page because it has like direct links into the docs of what to install. So Rancher, there's two ways to install Rancher. One is you can do a Docker container. That's like a very simple, that, you know, I have nothing but Docker, but that gives you like not a production grade thing. So it's not really the best. The other is install it as a Helm chart and the Helm chart's 
fairly straightforward. You need to read the docs, but the docs are quite good that we have out there because you need to understand the TLS, you know, what, what options you want to do for TLS. But so if you have a K3S cluster and you want to install Rancher, then it's really just installing that Helm chart. So you're going to download the Helm CLI and then run Helm. Yeah, and I'm trying to think about is Ketchup. Alex, I feel like Alex has a utility that basically does CLI, like an easy way to deploy Helm charts or something. Yeah, so there's, a, well, it started from Ketchup and then it moved into another, its own project called Arcade. So That's I right. don't know if Ketchup, I don't know if Ketchup still does it. I, I don't really know, but like, but so there's another project called Arcade, which is basically a wrapper around Helm charts and it makes it really easy to install a bunch of projects. So check out Arcade. That's a great way to install a bunch of apps. Yeah, yeah makes Arcade it really with a K. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that. It's like an easy CLI for deploying popular things, essentially, that are repeatable. Comment, not question. Thank you for providing specific detailed instructions for air-gapped installs. Uh, us without internet access are often forgotten and ignored. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> that means a lot because we put a lot of effort into air-gap. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, a lot of people do not pay attention to how to address that. And, and it's not actually that easy. So. Yeah, yeah. Documentation is hard. And you also, there's this effect, and I don't know if there's what we, there's this natural effect that once you've read and written enough documentation, it's hard for you to understand where the gaps are unless you have a way, for, an easy way for people to constantly point out, like thumbs up, thumbs down buttons like they have in the Docker docs don't really help much without the context of like, what is this missing? What are we needing here? And yeah. everybody wants to put in a GitHub issue for docs or whatever. So it's, yeah. I think it's always a challenge. What do you think about distroless images? Is it okay to use them as long as Kubernetes SIG release suspended the cube control debug feature? Wow. Suspended. What does that mean? Because I've been looking forward to the kubectl debug thing getting more yeah. leverage, but I, does that mean there's some hitch in there? I'm yeah, actually so not... Maybe I'm, not in 120. Maybe that's what they're... Maybe they're postponing maybe that's it, what I guess. It is, I don't know. So that, yeah. For people that don't, that don't know the what the debug feature is, it's really quite cool. For an existing pod, you can spin up a sidecar to run a pod or a container in that existing pod. And so if you had something like Distroless, which has no shell and has no... You can't exec into that. Um, with the debug, you could spin up like a tools container and then run some some debugging things there. I think distroless is a great way to go. Yeah, I the maintaining like the CVE scanning and all that stuff is is really just a pain. So the less you can have in the container, uh, the better. So I think uh, distroless is a great approach. Scratch if you can do it. If you're doing that. I find basically the only people successful with scratch images go developers, right? But yeah. No, yeah, not, it's not a lot of C plus developers yet in in container land. Yeah. So it's mostly Go people that are doing the static binaries, right? But I love NetShoot. So for those of you thinking about this DistroList thing, so DistroList is going to help you make your apps in a smaller container image, but it's not for day one. So that's why it's not even taught in my courses yet, because it's typically a maturity thing. Like you've got to you've got to get good at just troubleshooting containers with all the stuff in them, including shells, before you take the next step of trying to remove a lot of that unnecessary unnecessary stuff, unnecessary meaning that it's, your app yeah. doesn't need it. And that's the challenge is that a lot of this stuff requires you to iterative approach to your learning as well as your deployment. So most of the customers, in fact, none of the customers I've ever worked with over the last five years on day one of deploying things in the production have ever done like a, a scratch or a distroless image because they're ops people, they're troubleshooting people. Everyone needs to learn how these things work. And those approaches, those lean approaches to these things make it even harder. So yeah, the debug command is exciting. The ephemeral image idea. I have this thing. I, I love Nicholas's uh, NetShoot repo. He's got a great network troubleshooting utility. It's basically just the hodgepodge of all the Linux utilities 
for troubleshooting distributed systems. I recommend and use that a lot. So that would be my go-to once this debug command works. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah and like, I think you make it some some excellent points that you should call it. It's like distroless is very advanced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the majority, the vast majority is going to be Ubuntu or like Red Hat based containers. Right. Right. All right. So we've got this, these questions answered. Boy, we're running over people. Got some great questions today, but woo, there's a lot of them. Darren brings in the question. When do you plan to fully utilize the new UI in Rancher GA? Yeah, yeah. So it's, that's a, so Rancher 2.5. Well, we actually introduced like as a experimental feature in 2.4. 2.5 is, so there's like 2.5 right now is a s- split between we have an old UI and a new UI. And so basically the next release of Rancher is going to complete the new UI. So we sh- you should be able to accomplish all of the everything in the new UI, the n- but we will not get rid of the old UI probably for another release after that. So that's a plan right now. That new UI that we put in there is very ambitious. There's a lot of work and we're honestly, we're still refining the user experience, getting it. It's a balance between trying to get a lot of power and flexibility of what Kubernetes provides, but making it easier. And we're still actively working on a, a lot of the things there. The next release you should, which we have about a six month cadence, of when we do like the major releases. So you're looking at like basically another six months before that UI will be done. And then a year before we delete the old one. Okay. Will Kubevert be coming to the RKE line? Well, I mean, so Kubevert already works with, I don't think there's any problem with running Kubevert with RKE. We are doing some specific things. You'll see some announcements from us around Kubevert. So we are working on some projects specifically in the Kubevert space, but those are not really quite ready for prime time, what, what we're doing there. But but that use case of basically running VMs, there's still a good market or where I see Kubevert playing is like in the OpenStack space where OpenStack was trying to go after. Kubevert is a right. good replacement for OpenStack and it's it could possibly be a replacement even for VMware if you're simplifying your infrastructure. Yeah, again, advanced, right? You definitely want to be a well-oiled Kubernetes team before you start layering all this stuff on top, right? Yeah, like yeah. Does, does Rancher provide enterprise support for K3S? Curious to know. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, that's the short answer. Easy answer. Can we run Kubevert on top of K3S? Yeah, it should work. I don't see any problem there. It's, it's still just a, still Kubernetes, as long as you have VTX support on your host. Yeah. Mm. Does it make sense to use K3S for normal servers instead of RKE? If yes, why do you need? Why do I need RKE? So K3S just optimizes more for uh, smaller scale setups. So there's a lot of people who use K3S basically for everything. There's really not a lot of downsides except for the fact that it does not have great cloud provider integration. You're going to have to roll that yourself by bringing an out of tree cloud provider. So that's where it gets a little more tricky. But at this point. You can find a lot of information on the internet already of like adding a cloud provider to to K3S, like a DigitalOcean or AWS or, or something. So it's really, it's just the components and stuff we choose. They're great for the user, but sometimes for like, I don't know, like, like enterprise needs and whatnot, they want things to be separate. So I'll tell you, we, we run all of our production Kubernetes instances on K3S because they're very easy to deploy and orchestrate. K3S can actually scale massively far. We scaled it to like 5,000 nodes, whatever the max Kubernetes is. Yeah, so you can get pretty far with it. 
Okay. Can I orchestrate Longhorn with Rook? No, I don't think there's any integration there. Yeah. No, we haven't really worked on that because it, Longhorn itself is quite easy to run. It's just basically a Helm chart. And then once it's running, you just interact with it as a storage class. Or there's a GUI yeah. for it too. You can just point click. You don't so really need I don't, then. I don't yeah. know what Rook really provides for us. Yeah, this is a can of worms, but maybe we can make it quick. Do you have opinions on cluster API? Holy crap. It is an important thing. I believe that is the future. I have been actively, it's every about every three months, I try to use cluster API and try to figure out what's the strategy for Rancher to move to cluster API. And it's a slow, painful process, but we are getting there. It, it's a very tricky thing because the, the value of the interface of cluster API is very high level and it doesn't do much besides just define a cluster. And then all the options are opaque of like how, what are the options of how to spin up an actual cluster? So then all the options become pro the provider dependent and they're specific to mm. the AKS or EKS or whatever. It all comes down to the maturity of the actual drivers. And the problem with the cluster API historically, and this has changed, but the problem with it historically is they focused completely on a VM-based model where they were only spinning up VMs and then orchestrating the VMs. So there was no integration with, say, EKS or GKE. And those are the primary ways that people, I think people should be running Kubernetes in clouds. So there was, there's just always been this practical thing of the actual value you're getting out of the framework, but the idea yeah. makes sense. And so we're committed to cluster api it is very slow going it's like that project's been around for probably four years now and so yeah it will slowly evolve v once you know vmware is the one who's pushing it very heavily once vmware started investing in it it started picking up pace because vmware is dedicated to making cluster api their solution i mean they want that to, to work for their products or whatever and yeah so it's like fleet for example has nice integration with cluster api so if you spin up mm. clusters with cluster api they can be automatically registered with fleet and yeah so it's this ongoing thing but it's really messy right there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of interactions and stuff going on there yeah so it's it, I mean, a lot of these tools, the goal is to make the complex look simple, but it doesn't mean that it's not complex anymore to, to build more yeah, integrations it, and things. And we've been doing this, like provisioning clusters and whatever for so long that there's like, it's like cluster APIs, it's two years behind with what we're doing. Mm. So it's like, we want to move to a community standard thing, but then the maturity of what we're doing is so far beyond what cluster API is. And it's how to balance that. You can yeah. always say like, oh, well, you should just contribute everything to that. And it's like, well, no, because it's there's an idealistic side to the way cluster API works where it's purely declarative mm. and it doesn't, there's a lot of things where it's like, well, no, once you get into the real world, people actually want to behave slightly different and that doesn't, it's not compatible with it. So there's, yeah, it's been a messy thing, but we're committed in trying to figure that out. It's just going to take, I don't see it being feasible for at least another year. Right. Okay. And another one, Leon's asking me, I think, how does someone work through your courses to begin, or maybe your course on to being ready to deploy their first production app? How do I know what steps to take, but I'm afraid there are production things I don't know that I don't know. Well, there are the knowns that the unknown, the known unknowns and then the unknown unknowns or however that works. So I don't have an easy answer for you. The biggest, I mean, this is always a challenge with training is that training 
the the closer you get to real world training, like 200 level and 300 level training, the harder and more niche that training gets to create and take. So m most of us are living in the space of, of giving courses that are sort of introduction courses, maybe a few intermediate courses, just because you're, I don't work on any one company project for deploying containers that's the same. They're all using different CIs. They're all using different server OSs, different ways of creating VMs. They might be cloud or data center just to even get you close to that. And it depends on your role, right? Like, are you an operator? Are you just a developer? Are you responsible for everything that relates to a container? Because now that means monitoring, logging, security, like there's a ton, that's like eight courses of things that you'd have to take. It's probably 200 hours of video. So I don't, my answer is, I don't know. I don't know if Darren is a <laughs> good, honest answer. That's the consulting answer is, it was first and then the honest answer. Sorry, I don't know. Rancher in Rancher, I don't know if that was a serious question. No, I, well, ironically, this is something, it's not quite supported yet, but well, no, we, Rancher and Rancher is actually possible, but Rancher right. managing, Rancher managing Rancher instances is actually going to be an officially supported thing. Not in this really, not in 2.5, but in, in the next one, because there's actually people doing this that they have some use case where, yeah, it's, this is getting very advanced. This is for very <laughs> large organizations and, and right. things where it's like they have a rancher instance which then manages more ranchers. But yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, it's actually weird. So, We're doing. So yes, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is Rancher OS? I think we're coming to the end here because we got to roll. But what yeah. is Rancher OS? Is it like another Linux flavor? We didn't talk about it. Yeah, so Rancher OS, that was released a very long time ago in container years. And that was, a, it was a very aggressive experimental thing of running absolutely everything in the OS in containers. So every single component is in containers. Um, over time, that technical aspect of it became not all that interesting. It is what people like Rancher OS for. It is a very simple distribution to just spin up and run a container. It has like a, in, it has support for cloud in it that has like a compose-ish format built into it. So you can just okay. define these are the containers I run. So RancherOS is a container optimized or oriented Linux distribution. Um, we have K3OS, which is a more Kubernetes oriented one. There's a question just came in right now with like any updates on K3OS is that, yeah. so if you've noticed the news over the last couple months, we were recently uh, acquired by SUSE. That's not quite done yet. So I can't speak to a lot of the, like we're still in the process of that merger, but you can definitely expect once that merger is done, you can expect some updates on what we're doing in the OS space. This is something I'm very excited about, but cannot talk about. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so stay tuned. Yeah. And so the answer to Kevin is yes, but no. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> Yes, but later. And uh, we got some new questions coming in, but I'm going to cut it off at this final question of what do you do in your free time except for <laughs> K3S development? Yeah, so work is all consuming, like it's, it's quite consuming for me. On the other side of the fence, I have five children and yeah, so I have no free time. I, I have no hobbies. I, I don't do anything except for family things or work. So yeah, I'm actually... That, that pretty boring in that uh, I, I basically pretty obsessed with work and then do stuff with my kids. Yeah. Well, kids are not boring, uh, even on boring uh, no. <laughs> days. So I would say that your hobby is family, which at, yeah, in, in, co there you go. in COVID days is, hobbies. yeah, <laughs> for COVID days, that's a lot of us, right? Is uh, more time with family, yes. more time in the same house. Um, Maybe spend a little bit too much time with family over the <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes. 
my wife was traveling this week and I, I had the, I was in the house alone with the puppy for four days and it was the strangest feeling because I haven't had that in almost a year yeah. of being alone for yeah. four days. And so, I don't know, there's pros, there's cons, you know. I ate poorly. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, <laughs> stayed up too late. I don't know what else. I'm not nope. sure what else negative things happened. But yeah, that was the change in my patterns. All right. Well, I know we ran way longer than normal, uh, but I thank you so much for being here. We were killing it on the questions. We had 2,100 playbacks already on YouTube. So the uh, we were up to like 150 people concurrently on, on the channel. So I think you broke the internet on my YouTube channel. So good job on oh, that. That's, uh, that's a, a new problem. record. I think 150 concurrent is the peak I've ever been at. People yeah. love Rancher and want to hear more about Rancher products. And that's great because that's uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of us in the open source and container space have been fans of you guys since the beginning. So it's great that you're still doing great work and putting out new tools and always have things to talk about. All right. You can find out more of us on the I Build the Cloud and the Brett Fisher. These are our little Twitter handles. So go to Twitter. Uh, we're both active there. We both answer questions and talk to people on there all the time. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week back here on YouTube Live. And thanks. See you soon. I build the cloud. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.